Section 10 of Bird Stories from Burroughs by John Burroughs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra. Bird Stories from Burroughs by John Burroughs. Section 10. The Song Sparrow. The first song sparrow's nest I observed in the spring of 1881 was in a field under a fragment of a board, the board being raised from the ground a couple of inches by two poles. It had its full complement of eggs and probably sent forth a brood of young birds, though as to this I cannot speak positively as I neglected to observe it further. It was well sheltered and concealed and was not easily come at by any of its natural enemies, save snakes and weasels. But concealment often avails little. In May, a song sparrow, which had evidently met with disaster earlier in the season, built its nest in a thick mass of woodbine against the side of my house, about fifteen feet from the ground. Perhaps it took the hint from its cousin, the English sparrow, the nest was admirably placed, protected from the storms by the overhanging eaves and from all eyes by the thick screen of leaves. Only by patiently watching the suspicious bird, as she lingered near with food in her beak, did I discover its whereabouts. That brood is safe, I thought, beyond doubt. But it was not. The nest was pillaged one night, either by an owl or else by a rat that had climbed into the vine, seeking an entrance to the house. The mother bird, after reflecting upon her ill luck about a week, seemed to resolve to try a different system of tactics and to throw all appearances of concealment aside. She built a nest a few yards from the house, beside the drive, upon a smooth piece of greensward, there was not a weed or a shrub or anything whatever to conceal it or mark its site. The structure was completed and incubation had begun before I discovered what was going on. Well, well, I said, looking down upon the bird almost at my feet. This is going to the other extreme indeed. Now the cats will have you. The desperate little bird sat there day after day looking like a brown leaf pressed down in the short green grass. As the weather grew hot, her position became very trying. It was no longer a question of keeping the eggs warm, but of keeping them from roasting. The sun had no mercy on her, and she fairly panted in the middle of the day. In such an emergency, the male robin has been known to perch above the sitting female and shade her with his outstretched wings. But in this case, there was no perch for the male bird, had he been disposed to make a sunshade of himself. I thought to lend a hand in this direction myself, and so stuck a leafy twig beside the nest. This was probably an unwise interference. It guided disaster to the spot. The nest was broken up, and the mother bird was probably caught, as I never saw her afterward. 
One day a tragedy was enacted a few yards from where I was sitting with a book. Two song sparrows were trying to defend their nest against a black snake. The curious, interrogating note of a chicken, who had suddenly come upon the scene in his walk, first caused me to look up from my reading. There were the sparrows, with wings raised in a way peculiarly expressive of horror and dismay, rushing about a low clump of grass and bushes. Then, looking more closely, I saw the glistening form of the black snake and the quick movement of his head as he tried to seize the birds. The sparrows darted about and through the grass and weeds, trying to beat the snake off. Their tails and wings were spread, and, panting with the heat and the desperate struggle, they presented a most singular spectacle. They uttered no cry. Not a sound escaped them. They were plainly speechless with horror and dismay. Not once did they drop their wings, and the peculiar expression of those uplifted palms, as it were, I shall never forget. It occurred to me that perhaps here was a case of attempted bird charming on part of the snake, so I looked on from behind the fence. The birds charged the snake and harassed him from every side, but were evidently under no spell save that of courage in defending their nest. Every moment or two I could see the head and neck of the serpent make a sweep at the birds. When the one struck at would fall back, and the other would renew the assault from the rear. There appeared to be little danger that the snake could strike and hold one of the birds, though I trembled for them. They were so bold, and approached so near to the snake's head. Time and again he sprang at them, but without success. How the poor things panted, and held up their wings appealingly. Then the snake glided off to the near fence, barely escaping the stone which I hurled at him. I found the nest rifled and deranged. Whether it had contained eggs or young, I know not. The male sparrow had cheered me many a day with his song, and I blamed myself for not having rushed at once to the rescue when the arch-enemy was upon him. There is probably little truth in the popular notion that snakes charm birds. The black snake is the most subtle, alert and devilish of our snakes, and I have never seen him have any but young, helpless birds in his mouth. If one has always built one's nest upon the ground, and if one comes of a race of ground builders, it is a risky experiment to build in a tree. The conditions are vastly different. One of my near neighbours, a little song sparrow, learned this lesson the past season. She grew ambitious. She departed from the traditions of her race and placed her nest in a tree. Such a pretty spot she chose too, the pendant cradle formed by the interlaced sprays of two parallel branches of a Norway spruce. These branches shoot out almost horizontally. Indeed, the lower ones become quite so in spring, and the side shoots with which they are clothed droop down, forming the slopes of miniature ridges. Where the slopes of two branches join, a little valley is formed, which often looks more stable than it really is. 
my sparrows selected one of these little valleys, about six feet from the ground, and quite near the walls of the house. Here, she thought, I will build my nest, and pass the heat of June in a miniature Norway. This tree is the fir-clad mountain, and this little vale on its side I select for my own. She carried up a great quantity of coarse grass and straws for the foundation, just as she would have done upon the ground. On the top of this mass, there gradually came into shape the delicate structure of her nest, compacting and refining till its delicate carpet of hairs and threads was reached. So sly as the little bird was about it too, every moment on her guard, lest you discover her secret. Five eggs were laid, and incubation was far advanced, when the storms and winds came. The cradle indeed did rock. The boughs did not break, but they swayed and separated as you would part your two interlocked hands. The ground of the little valley fairly gave way. The nest tilted over, till its contents fell into the chasm. It was like an earthquake that destroys a hamlet. No born tree-builder would have placed its nest in such a situation. Birds that build at the end of the branch, like the oriole, tie the nest fast. Others, like the robin, build against the main trunk. Still others build securely in the fork. The sparrow, in her ignorance, rested her house upon the spray of two branches, and when the tempest came, the branches parted company, and the nest was engulfed. A little bobtail song sparrow built her nest in a pile of dry brush, very near the kitchen door of a farmhouse, on the skirts of the northern Catskills, where I was passing the summer. It was late in July, and she had doubtless reared one brood in the earlier season. Her toilet was decidedly the worse for wear. I noted her day after day, very busy about the fence and quince bushes between the house and milk house, with her beak full of coarse straw and hay. To a casual observer, she seemed flitting about aimlessly, carrying straws from place to place, just to amuse herself. When I came to watch her closely, to learn the place of her nest, she seemed to suspect my intention and made many little feints and movements calculated to put me off my track. But I would not be misled and presently had her secret. The male did not assist her at all, but sang much of the time in an apple tree or upon the fence on the other side of the house. The song sparrow nearly always builds upon the ground, but my little neighbour laid the foundations of her domicile a foot or more above the soil, and what a mass of straws and twigs she did collect together! How coarse and careless and aimless at first! A mere lot of rubbish dropped upon the tangle of dry limbs, but presently how it began to refine and come into shape in the centre, till there was the most exquisite hair-lined cup set about by a chaos of coarse straws and branches. 
What a process of evolution! The completed nest was foreshadowed by the first stiff straw, but how far off is yet that dainty casket with its complement of speckled eggs? The nest was so placed that it had for canopy a large, broad, drooping leaf of yellow dock. This formed a perfect shield against both sun and rain, while it served to conceal it from any curious eyes from above. From the cat, for instance, prowling along the top of the wall. Before the eggs had hatched, the dock and leaf wilted and dried and fell down upon the nest but the mother bird managed to insinuate herself beneath it and went on with her brooding all the same. Then I arranged an artificial cover of leaves and branches which shielded her charge till they had flown away. A mere trifle was this little bobtail bird with her arts and her secrets and the male with his song, and yet the pair gave a touch of something to those days and to that place which I would not willingly have missed. End of section 10